Welcome and thanks for listening to 9 and 10 News Focus, brought to you by Lake Effect Digital. I'm Kevin Essebaggers. And it, it, may, it may cause some short-term pain, but it's really important that we get this inflation under control. For a third straight time, the Federal Reserve raised its key interest rate by three quarters of a point this week. That's a pace that could be heightening the risk of a recession. The hike will make money more expensive to borrow, raising many consumer and business loans to between 3 and 3.25%, the highest level, by the way, since early 2008. A 30-year mortgage rate is now just over 6%, more than double a year ago. It can be hard to figure out how or if moves by the central bank will have an effect on your life and money. So we're bringing in an expert. Dr. Jason Taylor is a professor of economics at Central Michigan University and has published editorials in the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, and the Detroit News. All right. Uh, Jason, I just want to start with what the Fed did this week. It was something that uh, they did what everyone was pretty much expecting, but can you explain uh, just the move that the Fed made this week? Yeah, so the, so the, the Federal Reserve targets the overnight interest rate. It's a very short-term interest rate that none of us, of course, are affected by this interest rate directly, but all the other interest rates in the economy tend to move with it. So the interest rate the Fed targets is called the federal funds rate. And it's basically the rate that the banks borrow money overnight from each other. They raised that, that rate this week by three quarters of, of one percentage point. Um, that rate by raising it by three quarters of percent is gonna cause the interest rate on the 30 year mortgage will rise by approximately, it's not perfect, three quarters of percent. The interest rate on credit cards will rise approximately three quarters of percent. So by targeting this overnight rate and increasing it, they're effectively increasing all the interest rates in the economy. And this is not the first interest rate hike that the Fed has done. This is one in a series of, of rate hikes. Why are they doing this? What is the rationale here? And this is the fifth straight meeting that they've increased interest rates. I think that uh, many economists would, would, would say that, that maybe they came a little too late. It would have been, I think they probably should have been raising the rates a year ago uh, when inflation started to get to get high. Their logic is, by making it more expensive to borrow money and also making it, making it more rewarding to save money, that they'll get consumers and firms to cut back on spending. We'll be a little more cautious about borrowing money to buy a new car or to buy a house. Firms will be a little more cautious about borrowing money at a higher interest rate to uh, invest in, in new machinery or new equipment. That sounds terrible, right? But, but the idea, is that inflation in part is caused by too much demand in the economy relative to the amount that's being supplied by the economy. So the, the Fed can't control supply very well, um, but it can control demand through its monetary policy. By raising interest rates, they're slowing down spending, they're slowing down demand, and in slowing down demand, they will bring down inflation. And that would cool off the economy. And uh, so bringing down inflation sounds great. Everyone's for that. Uh, But you did mention, you know, that there's that flip side. Is that the pain that uh, Chairman Powell was talking about that we might experience as a result of higher Uh, interest rates? That's exactly what Chairman Powell was talking about. The the ways that you could bring down inflation would be to either increase the supply side of the economy, increase the amount of goods and services we're producing, 
or to decrease the demand side of the economy. And it, the, the, the painless way to bring inflation down would be to increase supply. Um, I think that was the hope early on in when inflation started to get high was, well, this is caused by a lot of supply chain issues. And that once those supply chain issues get resolved and the economy starts rolling again and supply and output, that then prices will come down because the because they'll be less scarce. Goods will be less scarce, so prices will, will come down. And and I think it's become more apparent that that's that the way the Fed, that inflation's not coming down, the Fed's going to need to act. And again, the Fed can only control the demand side, uh, the money supply effectively. By reducing the money supply, it makes money more scarce, and that's why interest rates go up and it brings it brings prices down. And, but it also, but, but to your point, though, it could also bring, unfortunately, it's not as painless as the supply side solution. It will likely bring higher unemployment. And Chairman Powell had, had mentioned really for one of the first times um, explicitly that this may not be a soft landing. They'd hope to bring in a soft landing, which is just jargon for avoiding a recession. <laughs> And that instead, these rate increases may bring a hard landing, which again is just jargon for saying that, you know, we may end up in a recession. Now, the hope is the recession will be relatively mild. I'm optimistic in the sense that unemployment is near a 50-year low, 3.7%. Even if the economy recedes, and it may already be receding, if unemployment doesn't jump to much above four, maybe even four and a half percent, it would be a relatively painless recession compared to say the great recession that we had a few years ago where unemployment got up 10% uh, or typical recessions that we've had in the last several decades, unemployment has jumped above five and a half, six, six and a half percent. So if we can, if we can have a recession with unemployment that stays at 4.3, 4.4%, I think that's what the Fed was kind of saying might almost be the best case scenario is what they were saying this week. And that kind of spooked some people because before the Fed had been saying, you know, maybe, maybe we can do this without having unemployment jump up much at all. Now you're a student of economic history. I am. Is there a, a period that you can point to that is anything like what we're experiencing now where we are probably heading into some sort of recession, but unemployment rate is very low and you know, if, if you want a job, it's not that hard to get a job and not, you know, a lot of people are losing their jobs right now. Is, is How unusual is this? It's a great, great question. Uh, let me preface it by saying that, that another measure of the job market, besides looking at the unemployment rate, is looking at the number of job openings per uh, relative to the number of people that are unemployed. And typically, you will have more people unemployed than job openings. So that ratio, you know, you, you're gonna have, have you know, one and a half or 1.2 unemployed per job opening. What we have now is exactly the opposite. We have, we have effectively two job openings for every one unemployed person, 11 million job openings and 6 million unemployed people. That's unprecedented in terms of the, the, the tightness as we call it, of the labor market. It's very tight, meaning it's very hard to find work. Uh, work it's very hard to find workers. I need to, to clarify that yeah, uh, for businesses. That's part of what, why 
uh, that also contributes to the inflation issue because they have you know, businesses have to raise wages, they have to pay uh, fast food restaurants have to pay $13, $14 an hour, and therefore they have to raise their, their prices and so on. So the unemployment is, 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 is near a 50 year low. And the labor market, if you look at this job openings versus unemployment, is, is basically at an all time low. To your question though about a historical precedent, I think the best one is actually the post-World War II era. After World War II, so we're talking 1945-1946, unemployment during World War II was basically non-existent. It was, it was as lowest as ever been. It was like 1%. And when World War II ended, of course, we, we uh, are going to have some adjustments. People are coming back in the labor force, being discharged from the military. There's a, a large reduction in demand because the government's no longer uh, hiring people to, to work in factories and, and so on. So the unemployment rate, uh, there were predictions that we would have a sharp recession and that the unemployment rate would jump back up like it did during the Great Depression to 10% or even 14 or 15%. And, and the economy contracted sharply, of course, because government spending at that time during World War II was, was like half of the economy was government spending because we're in the middle of a war. So government spending contracted, the economy contracted extremely sharply, like a, a 10 to 15% drop in GDP. So the unemployment rate during World War II peaked at about four and a half percent, despite all, all of, of, of the worries that the unemployment rate would jump very high. So we look at 1946 and we say, whoa, it's a huge recession. The, the economy collapsed, the GDP fell dramatically, but the unemployment rate was basically normal, you know, four and a half percent. So I kind of see some parallels here where, where you, you have a very tight labor market, just like you did uh, in World War II and unemployment went up at the end of World War II, but it didn't go up very much. And it's even hard to call that a recession. Uh, simply because the, the drop in GDP was mainly due to government spending drop. And to some extent, the, the COVID, uh, 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 all the, the, the stimulus policies and so on of the last year and a half, uh, you know, in, in a sense, part of the decline of the economy is the removal of all that, uh, that stimulus. So there are some parallels, I think, between 1946 and, and 2021 and 2022. And I want to talk a little bit about inflation itself and what it means for you and I. Uh, how, how does this work? When inflation comes down, you'd like to think prices come down, but that's not how this works, right? It's just that the prices of things aren't going up as much. I mean, there's always inflation, a little bit of inflation. Um, obviously, right. there's a lot more right now, and that's why we're having this conversation. But if I'm in the market for a, a new car, let's say. Right now, I'm going to be paying considerably more. Uh, and that's some supply chain things and inflation and all that. Should I try and wait? Will prices come back down? Or is it just like the train has left the station, cars are just going to be more expensive now? Yeah, the, the, there, there is such a thing as deflation. Uh, deflation means falling prices. The last time we experienced any kind of significant deflation was the 1930s, Great Depression, uh, it's, it, which was not a good time. I, I don't think anybody expects to, to see deflation of, of any kind of magnitude. Again, the, 
central banks uh, will print money, basically, uh, increase the money supply. Uh, they, they weren't doing that in the 1930s. Uh, you know. So you're right, Kevin. Uh, the train has left the station in the sense that prices, once they go up because of inflation, are not going to come back down. What we're hoping for is to prevent them from rising further, right? We bring the inflation rate down to only having the prices go up by 2% next year instead of going up by, by 8% as they have over the last year. But now, now, one thing I will say is that inflation doesn't mean that every price in the economy goes up by the same amount. Some prices will fall, other prices will go up. So it certainly is possible that you could see declines in prices of certain goods that were dramatically affected by supply chain issues. Certainly, gasoline prices have come down 10 or 11% in the last, in the last month or so. so. So there are some prices that actually can fall. But in terms of things like clothing and, and, and chicken and thighs, uh, I think these prices are, are going to stay elevated and the hope is that they don't rise much further. And the hope on a personal level is that you have a job or can get a job that pays enough to keep up. That, 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 well, that's, that's the, the thing is, is that if wages rise at the same rate as prices, then nobody's really hurt. Right. But the problem is they haven't been that, that uh, you know, w wages have risen five and a half percent in the last year. Wow. Oh, that's, 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 wow. That's amazing. Five and a half percent growth in price and wages is, is uh, really strong really strong when inflation is 2%, <laughs> uh, because that would be a 3.5% real increase in your wage when you adjust for that 2% inflation. The problem, of course, is when prices are rising 8.5% and your wage goes up only 55 on average, then you're losing 3% of your wages being eaten away by inflation. I mean, inflation is effective tax. It's a way at the value of money. In this case, it eats away at the value of your wage. It eats away at the value of your savings. And so there was a study last last week by Moody's Analytics that said that the average American household is spending $460 per month, per month more on the same basket of goods and services that it would have bought a year ago buying that same basket today. $460 a month is about $5,500 a year. So that, that's the cost of the average American household in terms of how higher prices are affecting their bottom line. Now, it is true that you can substitute. That, that study said a fixed basket. And of course, you know, it, we, can, we can say, well, that's really, that's gone up in price. This one's gone down and we can substitute away from that. So that probably overstates a little bit the pain we're feeling, but $460 a month, okay, substitute. Maybe it's still 400 a month. That's still a huge number. Uh, it's, it's definitely having a major effect on, on people. So. I think we should get behind the Fed uh, in this. You know, Chairman Powell basically said we're we're gonna we're gonna keep at it till the job is done. We're gonna bring this inflation down, and it may be painful in the short term, but saving the average American household, it's not gonna bring the prices down. But preventing another year from now saying, oh, everything now is four hundred or four hundred fifty dollars more a month than it used to be for the average American household, we want to prevent that. You know, that's. And it, it may it may cause some short term pain, but it's really important that we get this inflation under control. And it would be it'd be great if we could do it through supply means, increasing supply, 
uh, government could could you know maybe maybe uh, uh, deregulate a bit or, or or relax some some restrictions on on things and try to get companies to produce more output and that could bring inflation down. That's not the Fed's purview. The, the Fed that that's something that be the federal government or state government's purview. The Fed has control of the money supply, and that's all they can really control is the demand side of the economy. And that's the last thing that I want to ask you here is what is the next step in your mind for the Fed? Uh, how much higher can interest rates go? This is especially on the minds of people who may be looking at having to take out a loan for something or a mortgage uh, in the next year or so. Uh, how high does it go? And, and what do you expect from the Fed? The reason that the, that the markets were upset after Wednesday's three-quarter percent rate hike was not that they didn't think the three-quarter percent rate hike was coming. They knew it was. What upset them was that the Fed, in, in their guidance that they give afterward, suggested that the interest rates were going to have to be increased more severely than we had previously anticipated. So what the Fed is signaling now is that they anticipate the, uh, they call it the, the terminal rate, <laughs> the, the end game, let's call it, the, 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 the peak of the federal funds rate, the overnight interest rate, is going to be somewhere around 4.75% probably. Uh, you know, and pre a month ago, markets had expected it would be around 35 to 3.75%. So that's what has really caused the stock market to decline so much is that now we've kind of baked in an additional uh, three quarter percent in addition to what we thought we were going to get already. So the answer to your question is we could end up seeing the overnight interest rate rise to perhaps a little less than 5%. And what that would mean is that the 30-year mortgage would probably rise to around 8% because there's usually about a 3% spread between those things. And, and everything else would just, you know, would cascade in that, you know, every, all the interest rates are going to get much, much higher. So that's what the Fed is saying the end game is now. But keep in mind that a month ago, they were saying the end game was, was 3.75. So, yeah, you know, uh, it, it's, it's too early to say, but what Powell has said is he's going to keep at it till the job is done. And if that means that the overnight interest rate has to go of, of, above 5% or, or so, then it sounds like he's willing to do that. But not all at once, correct? This is a right. no, gradual no, they, process. The idea is they will probably raise the rate by another three-quarter percent next meeting. They meet every six weeks. It's a regular meeting every six weeks. So, so the next, next meeting, three-quarter percent. The meeting after that, they're projecting a half percent. So they're projecting that by the end of the year, the overnight interest rate will, will be up by another 1.25% by the end of this year. And then they're signaling another half percent sometime early in 2023. That's what the Fed is signaling now. And, and that is what upset the markets was that previously the Fed had been signaling much less aggressive interest rate hikes. And we'll see just how soft or hard of a landing that produces. Yeah, fingers crossed for the softer. Right, right. Uh, Jason Taylor from Central Michigan University, thanks for taking the time to help us understand what's going on with this wacky economy. All right, my pleasure, Kevin. Thank you. And thank you for listening. I hope you'll join me again as we take a closer look at the issues in the news affecting northern Michigan. 9 in 10 News Focus is brought to you by Lake Effect Digital.